Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a sunny day in a rather deserted city of Westminster, it must be said, as once again we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. I'm Scott Chaloner and I'm joined on the air today by Noman Kawaja. Noman is the Chief Operating Officer and Co-Founder of Haludis, an award-winning halal food brand based in London. Noman, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you on the air with us today. Thank you, it's great to be here. It's an absolute pleasure having you on with us. Now, um, the purpose of this podcast, Noman, as I say, is to gather together a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. So what I'd like to understand first and foremost is what that word leader actually means to you, because leadership has many different faces, doesn't it? It does, yeah. I think it's such a, a broad topic and of such importance, especially um, in the field of work that we have in, in, in the business world. Um, but also, I think, for um, individuals um, to reflect on themselves and, and showing leadership within themselves. Um, but to me, it's, you know, there's a lot of cliches around leadership and you know, what it takes to be a leader. And to me, it's, 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 a, it's a overlapping of so many different aspects because nobody, is, nobody wakes up one day and says, I'm going to be a leader. You have to be a leader of something. Um, you know, either you're a leader of a political party or you want to be a leader within business, but what does that leadership mean to you? And for me personally, I've always felt like I want to be a leader in the areas that I was in. So my previous career was in dentistry, and I wanted to be the best I can be and be a leader in that. Similarly, when we started the business, to be a business leader. So I think there's so many different elements. Um, the, the leadership and within yourself, but also um, leading people um, along the journey as well. Absolutely. And uh, how would you describe your own leadership style? My leadership style is one where I've developed it over a long period of time from, you know, even when we are being you know, a big believer in education. So I was very privileged to have a fantastic education going through a system where you are encouraged to show leadership um, and you know, get involved in activities and, and be an upstanding um, member of you know, whatever you're, you're doing. And to me, I always want to be myself. I think that it's very important to work on yourself as a character and that leadership will come naturally. So you have to earn your own respect. And I worked very hard to try and understand myself, self-reflection, looking in the mirror, understanding what it is that I need to do to better myself to get to a goal. Because to me, as humans, we have a need to, to have a reason to believe and to... Um, have a purpose in life and we everybody looks to a leader you know from a religion every religion has a leader to you know your political um, party that you're with to you know a company that you might work in so you have to be in a position that those people respect you they trust you they have their faith because you're putting your faith in them they need to put their faith in you and I wanted to strengthen myself so I want to inspire. Um, 
you know, as a role model in the, in the leadership position, you're always looked at. Um, in times of crisis uh, like we are in now, people will look to you and say, well, what, what do you want to do? And also looking back, you know, in, I always try and think of myself in, you know, when I retire, when I'm, you know, old and grey, how will people remember what I've done? You know, will they look back and remember me as someone who, who didn't inspire them, who was a horrible person to work for, or somebody who they say, you know what, that was great. And, you know, with the way that we're structuring our business as well to carry on in, in the long term. So, you know, focusing on the values that you have in the business that come from the top. You know, what is it about your character? Um, you know, being of good character and, and setting your team culture was so important to us. And I felt for me, if I'm of good character and I've been working on that and that can trickle through the business, I think that would be in you know, a, a good way for people to follow um, the leader. So for me, there's so many different elements that um, I think, you know, you, you need to work on. I mean, ego as well. I've never been one for a big ego, but I think, you know, putting these things aside, fighting your demons, I think is a great um, piece of self-reflection. And when people see that actually, think we're all human, we've all made mistakes, we've all learned from them, we've all understood that actually what we're doing is, just part of growing up and, and you know maturing in, in whatever you know stage of life you're in. Um, but to be yourself, for me that was absolutely key. Don't hide anything and pretend to be something you're not, because people can see right through that. You make some hugely important points there. I think that authenticity is very, very important to essentially command the respect of um, employees for certain, but also that need to inspire people in order to take them with you. And we see that some of the most influential leaders out there often are um, in the form of mentors in a way. Um, And if we think about that just for a moment, um, are there any examples maybe of mentors that you've encountered throughout your career who've maybe been an inspiration to you and have rubbed off on your own leadership style? Yeah, I mean, I've got a mentor that um, I work with right now who's certainly propelled me to um, the, you know, really think about the, the business world and you know why I wanted to get into it and how you can do it successfully. He's got a long history of um, success um, in, in various different sectors. And then in my previous career as a dentist, I, you know, I, I used to, I was a tutor as well, I used to stay as a student. Pick somebody who you want to be in 10 years' time you know, and, and use them as your mentor. And I had a professor um, who, again, I looked up to and you know, he helped me through a lot of things. And, you know, like I said about being yourself, you know, talking about things, not just in your particular line of work, but, you know, the social aspect, the emotional aspect, being ready to open up and for them to accept you as someone that, that they can mentor and, and bring forward. And in the, you know, from people I haven't met, <laughs> I would certainly um, look at lots of different areas where I can learn from and, and follow philosophies, um, you know, from Sir Alex Ferguson to, um, you know, looking at Jeff Bezos or um, other people in, in the business world um, that you can admire, respect and learn from. Um, and, and mentorship, I think, is something that um, is underestimated. You know, people um, really don't appreciate, uh, possibly because they just don't know the value of having a mentor in your life um, that can get you through the challenges um, that you'll face on a day-to-day basis. 
Mm. It was always said um, by, I think it was Nelson Mandela, who said, um, always surround yourself um, with people who are better than you. And mm. essentially, that's a message to really pick your mentors carefully. Um, but do you think that people who are great mentors are just born with an innate ability for it? Or do you think that they can learn and develop into um, taking on such a role? Yeah, I think the people do develop um, and understand what it is to, to be a mentor because, you know, everyone has a past. And, you know, if you look in the sporting world even, you know, when you think of some of the headlines that people have made in the past and the mistakes and then they go on and say they can um, guide people through, um, you know, get, getting to the top under them. Um, similarly, in the business world, you know, you learn from your experiences because it's a massive responsibility to take on somebody, which is why I've got huge respect for my current mentor because, you know, to have the patience to take somebody from a point A to point B, you know, and to see that they, they you know, they are, you've got to see something in them um, mm. that, you know, they're hungry, they want to get there. And it's a responsibility for you to say, you know, I think I can get them from there. And you, if you see that diamond in the rough or you see something within them, and I think, you know, people can be born with it, but I, I wouldn't expect any mentor, maybe one day I'll be a mentor, but I wouldn't expect myself certainly to feel that it's um, to be taken lightly. I mean, it's a massive responsibility that you, you're taking somebody's future in your hands. Um, so I think to learn it and then to feel like you can go into the world and you can guide someone because, you know, social media, we see so many influencers now, so many young people who look up to these influencers, you know, they have a responsibility because, you know, they're looking at these people and they want to be like them. You know, I'm very lucky that I'm one-to-one uh, where I can learn from, you know, my mentor. But when you don't have that context, you can't ask the questions and that responsibility, it's not too anything, I think is a bit of a challenge. So I think, people do learn about mentorship and understanding what responsibility is. And you talk about experience being an incredible teacher there as well. Do you think that it's possible for people to actually develop into good leaders without going through the experience of trying new things, going out of their comfort zone, maybe making one or two mistakes and then learning from that and using it to improve? Yeah, I, I think people um, underestimate the value of experience um, and making mistakes. Um, you know, there's there's so many cliches um, and quotes around people who don't try, um, and that's the only way that you'll learn. Because yeah, you might fail a number of times, but you know, the idea is to pick yourself up. And the, I would say that the strongest mantra that I have within me is I don't quit. Um, you keep going, and I think within that, you you feel that actually there is. Um, you know, a, a journey that you're going on. So it's it's very very um, important to make those errors um, and learn from it, and then be able to self reflect and say, you know, I, I've now got this experience, and I want to pass it on to um, people as well. And if we do think um, indeed about the uh, the future before we do wrap things up on the programme today, yeah, no man, and think about that journey going forward. It's been a real learning curve, hasn't it, the uh, the COVID-19 pandemic for many business leaders as they've attempted to navigate their way through this. Um, do tell me what you envision the next 12 months will hold for yourself and for your business. And also tell me about what you would hope to achieve in that time, not just in getting through the pandemic, but also your ambitions for beyond then as well. 
Yeah, I mean, the next 12 months, it's, it's going to be really unpredictable. Um, I think that, so we have an e-commerce side of our business um, that we accelerated our investment into, and certainly online has taken off in a big way. Um, so you know, we're delivering halal meat um, to door. You know, now, you know, the, the likes of any type of shopping and retail, you know, to, to have delivered to your door is certainly going to take off. We have food service channel as well. So, you know, the, the restaurant um, and the quick service restaurant arena, plus, you know, how the schools and universities are going to cope with the changes. I mean, you know, the, the, it, it, there's a lot of intertwined factors that over the next 12 months where, you know, you probably need to look at it in, in quarters to say, look, you know, we're going to be released at some point, but, you know, the health element of having a second wave, I think there has to be um, a social element, you know, with the schools, with families, um, you know, who want to, to meet each other. But equally, there will be, um, for us as a business, you know, we're, we're lucky that we're in the essential items. So, you know, mm. people will still need it to eat uh, while we're in this crisis. But uh, we've got to be very alert. We've got to adapt. I think over the 12 months, you know, the businesses that will survive will be the ones that can adapt, will be the ones who can, you know, a liquid, who have some money, who can look after their cash flow, look after their people because, you know, the more you inspire people, you know, the, the more they'll be behind you. And if they feel like you're not focused and you're not getting through, you know, they'll, you'll get more out of them in your business. And at the end of the day, you're all on that same journey. Um, so I think for us, investment in the people, investment in the business, making sure that we develop our ranks to meet the need of this new type of consumer that's going to emerge, um, you know, post-COVID. Um, but it'll be a really interesting time. Even air travel, you know, we supply into airlines and overnight it just went. Um, so looking at how air travel will um, develop um, over the next 12 months will be very interesting as well. It certainly will. Um, it's very much a changing times, um, as you say, and um, I think it would actually be fantastic for the listeners' benefit, actually, Noam, and if uh, when we start to see things uh, change in the next few months, we could maybe have you back on the air with us just to discuss how things have changed and catch up on how the business is doing as well. Um, but even though we are just about out of time today, I think it's been brilliant to um, have you on the air with us, and it's also been a thoroughly insightful and enjoyable experience, and I thank you ever so much for taking the time to come on and speak with me today. You're very kind. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I very much enjoyed it, Noman. Thanks ever so much. That was Noman Kawaja, the Chief Operating Officer and Co-Founder of Haludis. Coming up next on today's programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. Um, a former professional forward, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals during his football career for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup, following his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff. And that's coming up next. Uh, We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, Thank you very much for coming on today. uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, And perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? (laughs) Well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar 
um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't. And, um, yes, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where. Um, so Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, they, they quite always mention when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you, you're very... Fortunate, I think you, you you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and uh, a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course a, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at. West Ham uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players, and of course they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably. Well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with the, the captain. Um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. And what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier he played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a 
many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge when it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially I say about Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn song, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in your organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was, I was playing. And I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay, he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, 
only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gas shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out, mm. out. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that, that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. 
And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but I, then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did... Uh, um, but then again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of the uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... It would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but have to, but I will. Well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with... Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. 
And of course, going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well, he's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen. And I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that, that was outstanding and, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about... Uh, all of them in, in that breath, and there was nobody. And I, going back from an earlier earlier question for me, the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish. After '66, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was. A big part, I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was, and I've said that many, many times, for the success of the team. We have some great players, it... we have some great players, of course, but without the attitude <laughs> alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word, the, word is showed... the, word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. Uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that—that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking—if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-minded. Uh, 
single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.